Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees, their multicultural mess and secular scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you're having a great weekend wherever you are because it is a beautiful day where I am and it's always great to have a beautiful day wherever we are in the world. Uh, thank you for coming back and thank you for your support. It is awesome to have you guys on board. Um, and once again, um, I'd just like to start this podcast by saying thank you. Congratulations to the ISRO scientist for Chandrayaan-3 uh, takeoff. I've been watching it the whole day, reading up on it. It is so... So it's such a proud moment, and I'm so grateful, so grateful and honored to be in this generation to have witnessed this. To the scientists, to all of those who've who spent, you know, the last three years, and, and you know, last, what, 40, 60 years, who spent the last 60 years working so hard on this. Thank you so much for your for your time, for your sacrifice. I know there are more hours put in than it should be. And my hat's off to you, and thank you for making us so proud. I couldn't stop talking about it uh, today to everyone, and it's been great. So, on that note, we go back to our podcast, and today's podcast is on apparently the the age of um, um, the golden age of um, the golden age of uh, of Islam now. You hear them saying, uh, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, because I spoke about this a couple of days ago, and I said I will go into it more detail later, and that's why I'm going into it today. Okay, so I basically told you um, um, briefly about the Golden Age, how it started. Um, now, the Golden Age is always talked about by everyone in the Arab world. Oh, the Islamic Golden Age, the Islamic Golden Age. Remember, whenever you start something new, there's always fresh energy. Okay? And fresh energy means uh, more impetus, people are eager, they want to learn new things. And so, for the first 400 years you'll, of, of something, a new empire, you'll always have uh, great innovations like the United States of America. Look at the United States, 300 years, it's a new concept, it's a startup which broke off from the British Empire. And for 400 years, it, it really, what, 375, it really, um, you know, has invented uh, everything and anything that has that is on the planet. Uh, well, I wouldn't say for 400 years, but... <clears throat> When the British were the peak, they had the Industrial Revolution. That was their golden age. Then you had uh, the United States taking over, the Western world taking over. That was their golden age. Um, everyone has a golden age because it's a part of the cycle of life. When you're going up, there's always a golden age. When you're coming down, there's always a, a depression. Um, and we, are, we go through cycles of the same. So it's nothing great for an empire. Oh my God, the golden age. Now... Like everyone else, you need fresh impetus, fresh blood, fresh new youth to come and uh, to to um, to help you out, to to uh, um, give oxygen to your to your uh, to your life, to your country. And everyone comes and brings ideas. Similarly, the golden age of Islam started with Baghdad and the capture of Baghdad. Okay. Um, 
And from there, people from all over the world came and gave knowledge to the people of, um, took their knowledge and shared it. Now, let me um, explain to you how sharing worked within in knowledge in, in, in the old days. There were universities, centers of knowledge all around the world. Islam likes to say it's the first place of knowledge, the oldest learning knowledge place in the world. It is wrong. It is a lie. Okay. There were universities, centers of learning all over the world. Okay. From India to the Middle East to, um, to uh, um, Persia, to Alexandria, to Europe. Yes, there was. Okay, even to the Roman Empire, they shared all these uh, building techniques. Now, what happened was people would go and, and students would go to a center of learning. Uh, they would work, they would live there, they would work there. And as they worked, they would also learn, they would study and they would, um, they would work at the same time, share their knowledge. Once they received their knowledge, then at that point, they would continue working there and teaching the new staff or they would go on to the next university to share what they learned from the previous university. So sharing, taking your knowledge from one area to the other area, one land to the other land, and, sh and this sharing of knowledge was a way of life in the ancient world. Knowledge was the most important concept on the planet, okay? Uh, it was the most, it was, it was worth more than gold. So sharing your knowledge knowledge was of great, um, uh, of great maturity and of, um, uh, of high honor. So when the Arabs came to, Arabs came to, to India, we shared our knowledge with them. We had no problem in sharing. India has been the seat of education uh, from ancient, ancient times. Okay. But these Arabs came and stabbed us in the back. Okay. Um, but so they too had an impetus of immigrants to that, that, their lands in order to help them with their new empire, with their knowledge, to transfer our knowledge, to uh, translate and transfer our knowledge to them. And this is how they got the golden age. The golden age of Islam would not have happened without the uh, knowledge from the Hindu pundits and gurus and our Sanskrit ancient texts. The same people today have the guts and the audacity to call us um, kafir. Okay, so let's see how this happened. Um, now, most, um, most of this uh, takes place in what we've come to know as the Abbasid Caliph. Uh, caliphate okay it goes on from 70 750 AD to 1258 AD and from 1261 to 1517 well it's a Sunni caliphate um, so the Sunni caliphate goes on but the Ab sorry the Abbasid yes the Abbasid caliph uh, uh, first starts Islam starts with the Umayyad caliphate and then goes to the Abbasid caliphate Islam likes to call this the golden age of Islam 
an age where Islam was the only empire to save the world from darkness. This is again condescending, very, very condescending. Like everyone has given up their knowledge so that Islam, uh, you know, Islam can come and save us as if we lost all our knowledge. Uh, that's a condescending supremacist idea, um, idea and a way of thinking. It's typical for supremacist groups, but this is what they think. Okay, so that is why it's at, it attributes all modern inventions to this Islamic period and this necessitates the submission to the will of their God. What they don't tell you is all their knowledge was taken from non-Islamic empires. Okay, they did not invent anything. So it takes the term the darkness from the dark ages as the age in which Europe goes to a cultural age of darkness. Islam calls the European ignorance which they solved and resurrected. However, the concept of European darkness really means that this was a period where there were no records from its monuments and cultural arts. That's all. It would, it would more than likely be because the church rebranded all records as Christian inventions and achievements, kept all of these records and knowledge to itself while not sharing anything with the congregations below all to enslave them and cut off their source of Roman heritage from where it came from. This, just like Islam took the knowledge from all over the world and then cut off its source and said they invented knowledge and all the scientific documents um, belong to them and inventions belong to them, uh, Christianity did the same thing too. Okay? They took all the knowledge from the Romans and said, no, it's Christian inventions. Islam came and did exactly the same. Astronomical cycles... Uh, which they rebranded as their own. However, Islam, for all its golden age, cannot provide any documents for its monuments too. Just historical books written centuries later by their own historians to feed its own apologetics. To go through the golden age briefly, it was a feudal caliphate that was named after Muhammad's uncle Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. The caliphs or feudal sultans ruled out of Baghdad for most of this period after they overthrew the Umayyad Caliphate, Caliph, uh, starting out of Kufa, Iraq in 762 AD. Baghdad was a city that is an extension of the ancient Parthian and Sassanian capital of Setesfion, a city of great culture, agriculture, land, and waterways. Um, so as an extension to that city, about 35 kilometers further, you have the new city of Baghdad was built, but it was not built as a city because the Arabs know nothing about building anything. So it was tent city. The people, they, they pitched their tents, the Arab caravan merchants. They didn't have, have any knowledge to build anything. Okay, so they built their tents and they tents and then they allied with the people on the inside, collected money and slowly it became bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the Arabs invaded the Sassanian Empire in 636 AD and occupied it in 637 AD. The capital was connected by a network of roads with all parts of the empire. Hence, when the Persian Empire was invaded and taken over by Arabs, it was easier to find a new city close to the 
close by as the infrastructure and centers of knowledge already existed. Now, Satesfion, which is the extension of Baghdad, was a city that was well known as a seat of learning. Okay, not only was it a seat of learning, um, it was the crossroads for trade, my dear friend. You can look it up on the internet, Setesfion, as in C-T-E-S-I-P-H-O-N. It was the crossroads for the trade route. So obviously people would pass by, bring their knowledge, live there and move on. So um, they, Baghdad was part, Setesfion was part of the Persian Empire. So the Arabs did not invent anything, a new city. Remember, the Arab... In, in um, lands, Arab invaders only invaded areas which already existed. They never invented anything new. They took what the cities invaded because there was money and gold and they were on the trade routes. And once they controlled these areas, they controlled the trade routes, they controlled the money. They were not there to go and invent anything new. They were there for money and power. Now, the capital was con connected by network of roads with all parts of the empire. Hence, when the Persian Empire was invaded and taken over by the Arabs, it was easier to find a new city close as the infrastructure and centers of knowledge already existed. It was here that Islam says it built the house of wisdom, okay, or Bayt al-Hikmah. Okay, they build the house of wisdom. House of wisdom that means the center of learning, but it's nothing great because the Setesfion was already um, a center of learning. It's nothing great. It's like a, a say a, school, a university city. Around the university, you build a library. Is that great? There's nothing great about building a library near a university. It already exists. So they depended and allied with the Barmakid family who were highly educated, respected and influential throughout Arabia, Persia, Central Asia and the Levant. In Baghdad, the Barmakid court became a center of patronage for the Islamic ulama, poets, scholars alike. The Barmakids were the descendants of Buddhist administrators called the Parmukha in Sanskrit, Arabized to Barmak. From the ancient Buddhist monastery of Nava Bihara, Nav Bihara, west of Balkh, uh, which is modern day Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they, um, the Buddhist administrators from the Buddhist monastery of Navavihara. The Barmakid family was a supporter of the revolt against the Umayyad Caliph, who had originally enslaved some of the Barmakid women and forced them to marry Arab feudal princes. When the Abbasid Caliph took over, they then achieved a great high place in the political sphere of the Caliphate due to the support and went on to convert and join the Islamic Empire. Like when I say convert, convert is a modern concept. In the old days, um, they allied with, so they became allies with the Islamic Empire. And in a, just like today, you have alliances with different political parties. Doesn't mean you convert, means you become uh, allies together, okay? And then you form a, um, a political, uh, political power at the top, okay? In order to, no one can have 100% political power. You need absolute allies because we are cyclic, okay? So 
Um, thus, most of the knowledge that Islam boasts of today comes from this family, their supporters, and including the famous House of Wisdom. This is how Baghdad became Islamic center of arts, culture, and science. Islam takes credit for it. However, for a bunch of tent-dwelling Arabs whose culture was violence, they who Islam states did not know how to read and write, hence the territorial feudal ambitions. Founding culture and inventing signs from nothing is fake news. Without the Persians, the Buddhist background, existing infrastructure and centers of knowledge, the Arabs would not have invented anything. So the credit goes to the Persian Buddhist for the house of the, house of the Golden Age, not Islam, nor the Arabs of Islam, all of which gives Islam its architecture, its geometry, medicine, mosque that we see today. Without the Persian Buddhist, connection modern Islam would really be a footnote of history. Buddhism does not forget, uh, sorry, Buddhism not forget is a dharmic philosophy and nothing to do with Arab Islamic subjugation, whose ideology is about supremacy. I am the truth, the way, the life. Islamic dest Islam destiny with God is about culture plagiarized from other previous civilizations. Okay, so to give you exactly what they had, um, I'm just going to go through um, um, a write-up in the Avaz.com, uh, which I talked about the other day. Um, I'm just going to confirm this. Um, there is enough of literature in Islam discussing the rise of Arabs in diverse fields of knowledge from the 8th century, but very few have explored the roles of Indians in the Arab Revolution, also called the Golden Age of Islam. There is a near consensus among Islamic historians that Arabs excelled in science, technology, philosophy, sciences ruled during the Abbasid rule. The Barmakid family, which held important ministerial positions during the Abbasid rule, is thought to be the people behind nurturing this educational renaissance among the Arabs. Okay, so um, according to Syed Suleiman Nadwi, the Barmakids were Indian Brahmin Pandits or uh, Buddhist. Okay, he traces the origin of the word barmak to Sanskrit, uh, where Indian uh, Sanskrit. Nadvi argues that there were, because there were Indians, the family came to Kashmir after the Arabs captured Balkh in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, Khalid receives his education in Sanskrit scriptures in Kashmir. So the knowledge from from Kashmir in Sanskrit was given um, uh, to their um, to the descendants and given then translated to um, to Arabic for the Bedouin Arabs. Um, so I'm just going to go. Um, the book on that Al. Kavarizmi, 
okay, who starts algebra, who is supposed to be a pioneer of algebra and who name inspired the term algorithm was modifying mathematical knowledge already explained to Indian scholars. He learned mathematics from Indian pundits. More importantly, this knowledge was from soon penetrated to the masses. It is around this time that another Indian scholar translated and taught the Brahma Sapt Siddhant to Arabs and the works of Aryabhat also reached Baghdad. Several other texts of astronomy and, and scholars of, the, of subjects revolutionized how Arabs understood stars. Ninth century Arab scholars Abu Mashar adopted the Indian um, concept of Kalpa developed by Aryabhat as the days of the world which later became the basis of several treaties on astronomies for Arabs. Knowledge of medicine pre prevalent from the Arabs is almost attributed to the Greeks, which is partly correct, but a major portion of their knowledge came from the Indian Vaids, that is the physicians. Uh, one caliph, Harun Rashid, was ill with a disease and he couldn't be cured by any doctor in the empire. Um, so they sent for a messenger to India to bring an Indian Vaid who successfully treated him. The Vaid Manka Pandit treated the Caliph successfully and stayed in Baghdad to teach Indian medicine. Ibn Dhan, Dhanpati, was another Indian who was appointed the director of the hospital in Baghdad. Um, now, in those days, there were no hospitals as such, but places to for, to help the sick. The glory of Indian medicine reached its zenith when Caliph Harun Rashid's cousin Ibrahim was declared dead by the royal physician Gabriel, a Greek medicinal expert, and Salius, the son of a renowned Indian wide uh, Bia, um, challenged him. Um, Ibrahim was brought out of the coffin and Sully blew medicine in his nose. After 10 minutes, he sneezed and got up. Sully was diagnosed as a case of epilepsy. After this, the department was created in Baghdad where Indian pundits to translate and teach the Shushra Samhita, Charak and Ayurveda. A mission was sent to India to study Indian medicinal plants and other therapies. Text of the Shushra Shushrata, Kanya Kayana, Sandaliya, Yashodra, and others were translated and became part of the Arab knowledge system. Hindu texts of ethics, governance, and morality were translated into Arabic. These texts became the foundation for several later works of Arab, Arab scholars. Mahabharata and writings of Chanakya especially in, inspired a whole generation of Arabs. Some of the Indian pundits noted by Arab scholars like Ibn Nadin and Al-Jahiz were Manka Pandit, Ibn Dhan, Pandit Rosa, and Pandit Savbaram. Given Nadvi, these uh, given Nadvi, these were Arabicized pronouns of Sanskrit names, and that's why cannot be found in contemporary Indian records. The early Islamic empire established by Arabs admired the Hindu knowledge system, learned it, assimilated it with, um, with the knowledge, their knowledge. Ninth century Arab scholars, Yaqubi wrote, Indians were wise and critical because they were superior of all races. Their knowledge of astronomy and medicine is second to none. Chinese and Persians have learned these arts from them. So even the Persians learned from the Indians. 
Um, so, um, it is important to understand that in these times where people divide humans on race, uh, language, kufr, najjas, mushrik, pagans, um, Arabs did not spread Islam in a vacuum and there was continuous process through which they learned the sciences, philosophies and literature from Hindus. So this is very, very, very important for you to read, to know. And that is why I'm having this conversation today that the golden age of Islam is not really the golden age. It is an age where... Um, the Indians, the ancient Indians, gave and translated their knowledge to uh, the Arabs in every field. And from that basis, they, they wrote treaties that went higher up. So credit goes, most of the credit goes to the teachers, the pundits, the vides, the physicians who had the courtesy to teach all these people um, the ancient knowledge of Sanskrit, but the source was then taken, it was offloaded, credit was given to the Arabs and Islam, and two billion people in the world have no idea, well, most of them have no idea that everything they think that's Islamic is actually Hindu. It's Hindu Sanskrit and actually is what they call Kufar. So one side they're calling us Kufar, they're talking Kashmir, Kashmir, Kashmir. The other side they don't know that everything they have today comes from either Indian sciences, uh, Indian philosophy, geometry, maths, algebra, or Greek. Nothing belongs to them. They have lied that they gave Europe the knowledge. In reality, it was Europe who gave them and we gave them from the other side. Now they're trying to pretend they're victims all over the world and it's not working. So it's very important for you to have this knowledge, very important for you to tell the next person who's telling you, oh, you're an Islamophobe, would you tell him, let me see how much of Islam you know, how much of knowledge of the ancient text written in Islam are, are translated from Hinduism and from Hindu scriptures and Vedic scriptures are translated to Islam and how you got to be the empire you became because of the knowledge from other lands who you call Kufar today and who you're killing and asking people to convert to you when in reality you sh the reverse should be happening. Anyone who has comes across, you come across this, have no fear in telling them because unless you don't put your foot down, unless you stop, don't tell them, we will never rise up, we will never take control of our land and the knowledge of our ancestors will be lost and that's what's most important. We know that we have the woke secular groups of people trying to do everything to discredit up, discredit us, spread false conspiracy theories, uh, lie about us, um, t take off civilization and rebrand it as their own and now become uh, make it Abrahamic because they are such um, they're such lost and hungry for power that they will steal anything and everything that they want um, just to rise up to the top but you know what you cannot override the currents and the waves it's your currents that form the waves um, the, the ocean is a great balancing act it does a very good balancing act across the planet and 
and, and equalizes everything. So don't ever override the, the currents. Try to override the currents. Think that you're smarter than. We are all currents in ways. We are all the same cosmos. We can share our knowledge and be better instead of taking it for ourselves and pretending that it's ours. So on that note, I wish you a great uh, peace. Um, great uh, reading, uh, great listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Please share it with any five people you know. Ask them to share it with another five people and so on and so on because it's important to share this information with as many people as you come across um, in order to share the knowledge of our civilization. On that note, I take your leave. Thank you so much for your, your support and until we meet again.